Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtics Stuff Live with your hosts, Justin Poulin and John Duke. Welcome to Celtics Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. I'm Justin. He's John. I'm not negative Nancy this week. And John went to the Lakers game, so I promise you that we will be spending a great deal of time talking about that because he's clearly the leprechaun, the lucky charm. Yes, because he was going to that game, he broke the Celtics out of the six losses and eight games funk that put me in quite a perturbant mood. And uh, I, I got to be honest with you, John, I know you didn't have fun on the last show. <laughs> and it's happened a couple of times over the maybe the last year. You stuck it out and then you get to go to that game. Um, and they really, especially the Memphis, as Mike Gorman said at the close of that game, that was really poised for a letdown after a big win against the Lakers and um, kind of a rough start. And then all of a sudden they just go off. I am going to force you into the Ennis Canner conversation at some point, but just talk to me about having your family uh, at the game that you guys picked. And I cannot even imagine how much you paid for those tickets. I'm not talking about that. Uh, thank you, Santa Claus. Uh, the big man with the, you know, the long white beard made that happen. So, uh, wait, wait yeah, hold on a second. It, you didn't, you didn't buy them for yourself or you uh, bought them for the kids. I'm saying Santa Claus came and got them and, and brought them to my family yeah, I, for I, Christmas. I get what you, I get what you're saying. Who did Santa bring them for? You or the kids <laughs> or the whole family? The whole family. The whole family was in, was engaged. Okay, but I got it. It was a it was a Christmas gift to all of us. I got you. Yeah, you know. No, it was great. It was great. We had such a great time. Um, you know, this is the third year we've done this. So uh, the first year was the, the Houston game where they came back from 27 down. Smart draws the two charges on Harden. I mean, that was that's a tough one to top, right? Then last year, Kyrie sitting on the bench, moping, crying. Uh, he only talks to Jerome Allen. He'll talk, he talks briefly to Marcus Morris and a little bit to Tatum, and that's it. Interacts with no one else on the bench. 
I met Nick Gelso for the very first time, which is was a, a, a real momentous occasion. No way, really. Yeah, I, yeah that's excellent. Oh, yeah. And then now, fast forward a year, uh, we go and we see them play the Lakers. We see LeBron. We see Anthony Davis. And those guys both play not great. And the Celtics finally rescue themselves from some a string of really bad performances and probably put in their performance of the season, I think, in terms of how they played. They didn't have... I think an equal. I don't think the competition was as high as it should have been given the star power on the Lakers team, but the Celtics played. Well, keep well in mind, Anthony Davis. Yeah, they did. And keep in mind too, Anthony Davis just coming back from some injuries. So I don't know that he played his best game by any means. LeBron gets his butt dunked on for the second time by a young Celtics player, Jalen Brown taunting. I'll take that technical. I'll take that technical over the Marcus Smart technical that I've brought up a few times every single or the Marcus Smart non-technical. Uh, but but the technical that that he got for that was deserved. But it really was you think that so? alpha. Jalen Brown. Yeah. Yeah. You think it was deserved? Yeah, it was. Oh, um, come on. Oh. So here's the thing. At first, I didn't. Right. But in the end. When, when he's coming off of the rim, you know, he's he's definitely hanging a little extra and, and giving the stare down move. Do you, do you think that they gave him the technical because it was LeBron he dunked on? Do you think Absolutely. that's – so Absolutely. That, that, for you, that's a reputation call. I, I don't think know. It totally is a reputation call. If I that was – uh, you know, if that was Kyle Kuzma lying on the ground, I don't think they think anything of it, you know. I think they're protecting LeBron, but that's, you know, that's just me. That's how I feel about it. Well, either way, it was freaking awesome. And it was, uh, I bet the entire garden went bananas. I bet it was one of the loudest. Now, remember, I went to that game on January 31st, right before they traded Kevin Garnett. So that's my Lakers game experience. And, uh, that was 2008. It was that, no, the seven, 2007. And, uh, there were more Lakers fans in the TD Garden than there were Celtics fans, and they were chanting MVP for uh, Kobe Bryant that game that night. And uh, here you are, a uh, playing against LeBron James. So really, if you if you were to point out two players in the last twenty years that were kind of like Jordan's heir apparent, those are the two players. It's great that nobody was chanting LeBron. <laughs> oh boy, we yeah. were in a position to win and win big. It, oh, I know. And, it, you know, what was great about this, too, was that it was it was there was no pressure. There was no stress. I mean, when when Tatum started going off there in, in the second quarter and it just was like, oh, wow. Hey, because, you know, the, remember, the game started really badly. The Celtics really started off the way that they played. The oh, I was rolling weeks. my eyes and I was negative Nancy yeah. at saying, am yeah. I going to have to put up with this for 48 minutes? Because I just don't think I can take it another night, especially it, against the Lakers. It was brutal. It really was. But then, you know, they kind of, they got, you know, Gordon got that quick three and then deep three, really, and the shot clock type situation. And things started to snowball a bit. And, you know, I, I, again, I think a lot of it I do put on the Lakers. I don't feel that they were, they were not moving well. They weren't, you know, LeBron was not engaged. Davis was clearly not himself. So I don't really put it up as 
you know, they like the expect this game. in the finals kind of a deal. Yep, exactly. Well, you know, that the Clipper game, I felt like that was the Clippers were trying their damnedest to try to win that game. I don't feel I didn't feel like that from the Lakers, but regardless, the Lakers winners rolled win, the quick. Win. Yeah, Lakers rolled kind of quick once Boston can. I mean, they made three kind of attempts to, you know, cut that deficit and get back into it and make sure Boston didn't run away with it. But, you know, by the middle of the third quarter, maybe late fourth, third quarter, they were they were definitely they there were by early yeah. fourth. You knew. And what's interesting about that is this is a East Coast trip for them. And I would have said that maybe they were off because it was at the end of the East Coast trip, but it was only game number two for them. And then they're basically just going to hang out in northern New Jersey, hit a couple of New York teams, and then finish out in Philly, right, at the end of this. So, um, you know, the travel is for a – like when you go west, you're traveling, Right. And they did start for game one was in Texas. And we'll typically see that with the Celtics, too. They'll head down to Texas and then make their way over to California. But the the distance between cities when you make a West Coast trip is far greater travel wise than it is when you just kind of come over and and camp out within an hour flight of New York City and call that an East Coast trip and then head home. Yeah. And, you know, they were. I think I actually put a lot of this on LeBron going to see his son play during the day. You know, Man, that, that occurred production. to me. That's a really good point. I mean, I was talking with one of the ushers at the game, and he was saying, yeah, LeBron was – he went to see his son play down in the Worcester or in Springfield or whatever, and uh, that he – you know, and they and they, you know, they lost the game or whatever. And I'm thinking, man, like, okay, to get out there and they come back, like – you know, but to still have your routine. And he drove. And he drove. That's tough. Yeah. So I, I, I think that had, I, that had something at least to do with his lack of LeBronness in that game. But also, we've seen him, you know, mail it in in regular season games too. So this was also a game the Celtics, with how they had played and the way that they were kind of coming into it, the way last year's game went. There was just so much that was on the Celtic side of we have ample motivation to go into this, this game Lakers less. So, I mean, honestly, they've rolled over the West. I mean, they've got a good three and a half games over the Clippers right now. And it's with the one seed pending what happens, uh, you know, here on, uh, on Wednesday night. Well, you did have a couple of guys, you know, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, and look at the game last year. Rondo hits a, a game winner with time expiring for them to be able to grab. Was that last year or the year before? No, it was last, last year, year, right? Yeah. yeah. So they grabbed the win. See, that's how time flies is flying on me now. That You hit 40, and you can't even tell one year to the next. So, But one thing that I did enjoy in that game – Avery Bradley had a couple of those good old fashioned backdoor cuts. Yes. And I do miss that. I yes. I wish we I don't mean to say I wish we had Avery Bradley when I say this. I wish we had a player on the Celtics who would do that backdoor cut move because I just I have I I didn't just love it cuz it was Avery. I love it cuz it's such a great play. I think there is nothing you love more than the backdoor cut. I think that if you had like one play that you could like watch over and over again, it would be somebody would be, cutting backdoor. Yeah, it, I love the backdoor play. You you or, mentioned you mentioned backdoor cuts like that's that is that's your. Anytime I see Avery thing. Bradley, only when we talk about Avery Bradley, because otherwise uh, I don't know. I, how many times you said Jalen Brown? Jaylen, he could use that backdoor cut. 
Oh well, That's... right, and he could. And you know what's funny? As I was <laughs> as I was saying, if I wish we had a player, I was saying to myself. That player should be Jalen Brown. Oh my gosh! See, that's the circle comes back to the. That's top. how well we know each other. Yep. That's right. All right, everybody, follow Celtics stuff live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke, and the entire CLNS Media Network at CLNS Media. Facebook dot com slash CLNS Fans. Download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. YouTube dot com slash CLNS Media for high definition, full length locker room interview. Reviews, the Garden Report, Roundtable, and Celtic Stuff Live. Um, yeah, so many neat things. So we talked about you, – t- you definitely talked about Tatum. I am going to get to Cantor, but I want to talk about Marcus Smart because that that behind-the-back pass drop in front of LeBron has now got him thinking that he's Bob Cousy. I mean, well, just – and he kind of looks like it now against what about the, against what about the, the Grizzlies. Javante, yeah, the the back oh. behind the back to Javante Green. That's what I'm the, talking about. He Ooh. had that that whole series where he had the one through the legs. They steal the ball from the behind the legs. Tatum knocks it away. Smart gets it back behind the back behind the back. Like he's um there is he is. I, I it's almost like his new thing is I'm not going to look at you to pass the ball. It's uh. It's wild space that uh, Marcus Smart's living in. I enjoy it. I enjoy the hell out of it. Sets a Celtics record. Sets a Celtics record for most three pointers in a game. Absolutely goes off, and then starts doing this. Like, remember when I said I include him and the youth? Like, because I've talked, we've we've had people. You know, chat with us on Twitter about this. You and I have talked about it. I have always included Marcus Smart in my future starting lineup. I've always thought that he was going to only continue to grow as a player. But the fact that he's set his, and I think Sean Grandy had this as a tweet, but now he's just like 0.1 percentage points above the NBA league average for three-pointers. But remember when he couldn't even hit 30%? Now he's just above average. He's had a Celtics record for three-pointers, something that nobody could have ever imagined. And the playmaking was something that we'd all been noting, I, w- I want to say for the last 18 months with him, but definitely over the last year, that Marcus Smart's playmaking has really, you know, from a from a distribution standpoint, he's always made plays defensively. But literally from facilitating the offense, the plays that he's made and the playmaking ability has grown so much in the last 18 months. And we're, we've really seen that in these last two games. I think he's getting more and more of an opportunity to put the ball in his hands. I still don't think he has the ball in his hands enough, quite frankly. One thing I would say against in that Lakers game, Brad Wanamaker was out of the rotation effectively and, until things were really out of hand. And Smart and, and Kemba were really the point guards on the floor. And I thought it worked well. Uh, and I, that's no Or just a short people. rotation in general. Well, that's true. Yeah, well, It's got to make you excited for the postseason because Brad's not really been doing that. And they've does. been struggling with injuries. And it's good that these younger players and end-of-the-bench guys get some time. But the truth is, is that's more likely what we're going to see, you know, come April, May, June. It is. and But I, on top of that, I think it allows for the ball to be in the hands of Smart and Kemba and Hayward more. 
I think that's the issue to me is, you know, I think it's great to have someone on the court. And in some cases, you have to have somebody on the court who's able to defend a smaller player. And if, if that's Brad Wanamaker's role, great. But Wanamaker's, you know, inclusion into the rotation means that even if it's just by this much, this much more time is taken away from ball making, ball handling duties that those three guys, Kemba, uh, Smart, and and Hayward, are able to uh, to do. And I think that's a, I, I think that's not to the Celtics' uh, credit in those cases. And I think that you know there's a lot of talk about Hayward right now where he fits. I think the more that you, the more the ball is in his hands, the more the and in, t- in Smart's hands for that matter, in making decisions, I think the Celtics are better for it. Uh, and that's again no slight on, on Wanamaker. I think you need him for defensive purposes, but I don't know that for the for the Celtics to be the best team that they can be, that's the case. Maybe you have to have a shorter rotation to make that happen, though. To your what your you know your kind of your point, Justin. Yeah, and I'm just not sure they want to put those kinds of minutes on the legs of this team and, you know, Jalen missing the Memphis game because of an ankle after he just came back from a thumb. And so half the time they're going deeper into the, to the bench out of necessity. Like even if they shorten the rotation, there's been, you know, times during the season where that two of the top eight players haven't been available for the game. And so they've definitely, you know, had to adjust to that. And so uh, I think that's part of it. And I, and I, think when we get to the postseason, you know, and they shorten that rotation, um, they will be doing themselves all those great services. I think what you're getting at is, can we put the ball in these, even if we go with a longer rotation, can we put the ball in those players' hands more like it was a shorter, shorter rotation just so that they continue to work those finer elements? And, you know, you talk about Wanamaker, you talk about somebody like Carson Edwards, you talk about, you know, Grant Williams. All these guys got to be developed. There's no doubt. So you you have to find time throughout the regular season. Next man up. Make sure they're ready. Um, so what you do during the regular season is different from what you do in the postseason. I think part of the reason they did it against the Lakers, you know, obviously a high profile game, Martin Luther King Day, guys like you uh, getting Santa <laughs> to pay an exorbitant amount of money to go to the game. I think they treated it like a playoff game you know, the way that they approached it. And so that's why I really feel like is we're just getting a little bit of Javante Green's looking through Marcus Smart's glasses towards the future and going, okay, you know, future-looking goggles, kind of looking around. I think we're getting a, a snapshot of what it would look like in the postseason. And so people being worried about big men and people worried about trades and people worrying about Hayward's fit – I think we. I, I was concerned with the way that this team was playing because it, I was pissed with the effort. That's you're going to lose me, you know what I mean? And I'm going to get negative about spending time watching games when the effort's not there. And that that clearly is what was going on in six of eight. There were so many times on the floor when they weren't even trying, and then you look at like that flurry of defense. I'm not talking, they played amazing defense in the Lakers game, and they definitely locked it down, and we heard all about the film session. But that Memphis game during that stretch, when they set off, I think, a 23-0 and and what wound up being a 23-2 to finish to the first half, that was all predicated on just incredible next-level effort on defense and creating turnovers and doing all those right things. That's what I need to see. Even if you lose a game, 
as long as you're putting that effort, I'm not going to be upset. But that skid of six to eight, the reason I was so cantankerous is they literally just the effort wasn't there. And and I'm I like the way Brad handled it in the locker room. You could also use that as a reason for your your post holiday skid that you had called. So that that all, well, all the more reason. Yeah, they do it every year, right? All the, right. Well, that's, every how, year. that's every year, right after Christmas. Not uh, directly after, after Christmas, just wait, right no, after. Well. Christmas. <laughs> We're not going back there. <laughs> I know everybody listening would would really be excited to relive that. <laughs> oh boy, you gotta listen to those guys. Um, yeah, no, I I, I hear you. I, the only thing I, I would say is, and, and this is, you know, Celtics beat this week. Uh, Sean Devaney was on there with Adam, and there is something about the flow of the team, and even I noticed in the Laker game. I I, I like if if Hayward was was being more assertive in in his in his leadership when he's the best player on the floor clearly i think that would quiet a lot of the a lot of the concerns I mean, even the laker game i i was watching that pretty closely cuz obviously that's the thing that i think people are, what's the fit how's the fit looking 19 6 and 5 is a pretty good stat line in the end right but is that you know is that the best Celtics, you know, path forward. Does that set the highest bar for the team? And I, I just don't know if he needs to be the one who steps forward in the lineups with Wanamaker, Smart, and and Jalen. Like he he has to be the one who steps forward and says, okay, I'm the guy here. I'm the guy running this. You know, I'm the guy who's going to handle the ball at the top of the key and and make things happen. Um, and for someone who can facilitate, who can pass, who can do those things, he needs to be, I don't know what the Celtics need to do to force him to be in that role, but I think if in those lineups, the lineups without Kemba, the lineups without Tatum, that he's pushing himself into that role, I think that would quiet it down. The problem is it's so readily apparent when you see Brad Wanamaker making, you know, r- running the offense, you know, and, and you're seeing Hayward and he sticks out. Uh, in in the, you know in the corner, and you're like, what are we doing here? And I think that's the image that people have a hard time with. And I and truthfully, so whose whose deal is that? Is that Hayward's deal or is that Stevens' deal? I don't know, but it's one of the two of them, or it's a combination of the both of them. But either way, it seems like it's not getting the most out of the player, and. I think that's that's the larger concern. Is it's not he was so aggressive to start this year. Yeah, he he was was. so aggressive to start the year and and that really is where he needs to get back to. Um we've seen some athletic moves from him. I think he's still got the hops. I mean he may not be he may not be quite as fluid as he used to be, but um, he, his role on this team is different than it was in Utah. You know what I mean? There's a lot more talent on this team. There's emerging talent on this team. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know 
what they'll do with him contractually. I'm sure he's going to pick up his option at the end, but I don't know that they'll go much further than that. But I don't think they're in a hurry to get rid of him. I think they like him. I just think, you know, they may view it at the end of this where, you know, it's just not worth another max deal. And he may, you know, they may just have to part ways for him to, to try and go out and get those dollars. You know what I mean? One last time, because that's going to be his last shot. Um, and at the same time, I would not expect him to leave, what is it, $28 million on the table to go find out if he can get a max deal or not. He's going to take that guaranteed money. And and so there'll be, you know, what, another season here for that aggressiveness to come out. And I think the postseason does a lot to shape people's minds about who a player is. You know, LeBron has notoriously coasted through the regular season, many seasons, you know, and he obviously gets – you know, he gets a little bit more leeway on that, and him mm-hmm. coasting is still better than what we've seen from from Hayward. That's not really my point. My point is, if you go win championships and you go and play hard in the postseason and you do what needs to be done night in and night out, you know, for the last two and a half months, then or last two months, then people are going to forget about that stuff during the regular season and you're going to still be considered a valuable player. So I wonder how much everybody's opinions of Hayward will change, you know, come June. Yeah. Well, I think you, the the question to me, the, the, to me, the Hayward question is always about, about what's the ceiling for the team. And is there something you could do instead of Hayward that would allow you to raise that ceiling in some way. I mean, to me, that's the only question about it because maybe Hayward, I just, I get so worried about the switchability. I like having three sure. shooting different ability, di- you know I mean? Differently able, differently talented, right. you know, complementary types of skills at the wings, right? Cause Brad's always like guard, big three wings. And I feel like, yeah, you know, you could you could look for something else, but would you really have as as talented a trio of wings? Or are you gonna just say let's go with Marcus at that point and put him in the starting lineup and call him a wing? Well, I think we it's a question of how consistently it works, right? If if they can show that one they can be healthy, but two that they can play together and play consistently well together. Um, then I think I think that quiets that down great quite a bit. The fact is we just have not seen that consistently, and that's not necessarily the fault of either any of those guys, but it's definitely a reality that they have not been able to figure out a way to show them on the court at the same time playing and add smart to that mix and add Kemba to that mix. They literally, well, let's say, let's just say that there's not much you can you can do when they've played like 16 minutes together all season, that five some. And that, that's, that's the concern, I guess, is you get your best five and you can only play four of them. Is that, you know, does that work or is there a way all five mm, of them can play? I get, I get what you're saying. You're saying are, is the reason they're not playing all of them together because they don't ever intend to. Yeah. Or is that the best allocation of resources? If yeah. you can't, if you literally cannot play them together, does that work? You know, I mean, how much value can you get out of times when you have to 
have bench players. You know, it's just it's kind of like that. It's kind of like the Dennis Canner situation, really. In, in, in kind of All right. Well, that's where let let, let re- hold that thought because that's exactly perfect segue, and we're there. But first, still more than a week out before the big game, but you can still get get in on a ton for wagering action. How long will the national anthem go? Can you believe it? You can bet on that. Will there be a wardrobe malfunction? Uh, yep, we all remember that one. How many yards will Patrick Mahomes throw for? There are literally hundreds of props to bet on before the game even starts. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and get in on everything about the big game. Bring the playoffs home with our exclusive sports book partner, Bet Online. Dude, the wardrobe malfunction. Like, do you know do you, any guesses how long ago that was? Oh, it was a Super Bowl. Let's see. I want to say it was the last time Janet Jackson had a career. Yeah. Oh. Oh. It's kind of. No, that's hey, what happened. I'm not that, trying to be mean about it. I'm just saying that's what happened. That ruined her career. My first name ain't baby. It's Janet. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, by the way. Uh, I want to say 17 years ago. 2003. Pretty good guess. 2004. Okay. Uh, Super Bowl. So we're okay. 16 years away. I was going to say 15. Yeah. Feel old? Um, I already did. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you know what? As long as Tom Brady's still playing football and he's older than me, it's okay in my book. <laughs> All right. Well, he's younger than me. So... <laughs> he'll keep playing will yeah. he keep playing until he's my age i guess we'll see uh all right so let's let's go to the ns canner piece of this you know because yeah. i know you're kind of down on him but i would say that outside of tatum he was the next biggest factor in turning that lakers game around and really turning it into a blowout what he did out on the court in that second quarter was phenomenal, dude. And he had, he continues to put up near double double points and rebounds every single game. And especially on the rebounding side and all those second chance opportunities, like they don't have anybody else on the team to get it. And I love watching Tice hit, what was it, three for three from the three point arc against Memphis? Beautiful. He's starting to find his stroke. And, you know, one of these days the refs will be nice to him. But, but Canner provides something completely different, and I agree it's an off-the-bench contribution, but it's pretty substantial in limited minutes. I think that he – what I like about Cantor is that he he does what he does well, right? He In, in the in – the, um, when he's going against a, a team with legitimate size or he goes against a team that – He's called on and has to be big against the team. They need him to be big. He does very well. When it goes outside of that, you know, you know, I think that's when things get in trouble um, and they find a way to punish him. I don't know if it's going to work in the playoffs, for example. It may be a great type of thing that you can run uh, and, and, and have success with here in the regular season. I think it works well against a team like L.A., who's going to have a traditional big on the floor uh, and, and – you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to worry about JaVale McGee stepping out to three. Not really, although we did hit, <laughs> you know, but I still, I'd still rather see Tice out there 
for me. I you know I know Cantor is doing his thing, and I'm not I'm not trying to take away from it. He does very well in that role, and I think as a backup big, he's great. But I don't want anyone to get you know, kind of go by the counting stats and be like, oh, is it he got 20 and 10 from the Lakers? He should be starting. Well, that's yes, but you know what I mean. That. Uh, Hey, at least you said something nice about him on this one. Hey, I step forward. No, no, no. Listen, two times ago we had the Ennis Cantor Appreciation Show. Remember? Hold on, hold on. You let's let's also. Yes, I do remember. (laughs) And and yes, we did. But it was it was because I asked you to look up the stats, and all of a sudden you found yourself being swayed by facts. (laughs) Facts did help. Facts did help. But seriously uh, though, no, let's let's be honest though. Before before we did walk through those numbers, you know what I mean, your eye test was not backing up what we went and actually discovered. Right. Right? right. And then yeah. we see stats, you know, and I know we talked about this on a previous show, but then we see stats flashing up and watching the Celtics rebounding numbers and how they rank in the league. And that's climbing. I think the biggest downside or detract maybe, you know, where you can say, okay, it's not it's not it's not leading to wins, right? During that six of eight, you know, he could have all of those games he wanted, but it wasn't leading to wins. And you know, they weren't playing good defense as a team, not just Ennis and his limitations defensively. But I definitely think he's probably playing the best defense he's ever played in his career. I mean, I think he's taking the instruction with the team. Does that mean he's, you know, a stellar defender? No, he's still not a stellar defender. Um, but I think that he is more adequate than we could have hoped for at this point. You know, we we had said heading into the season, if Cantor could just uptick his defense to passable, I think we'd be really happy about this on this yeah. bargain deal. So I don't see – you just can't get down on it. He's he's on a bargain no. deal. He's definitely gone to at least passable on defense, and he's giving you that offensive contribution that you needed um, both – both, you know, from a back to the basket, old school kind of ball way to the rebounding and getting those second chance opportunities that the Celtics were giving up all the time last year and never securing for themselves. I, I think that's I think that's true. And I think that for the role that he has, he does it quite well. I think the the problem that the Celtics have run into of late is I, I think Robert Williams absence has actually been a real a real problem uh, because. There just are some nights when Cantor is not going to be the right fit out there, and either Tice doesn't have it going or what have you. You need to have someone else you can throw out there you trust. Vincent or a different is not level of that guy, different level of athleticism too. Possibly right. In limited think, minutes. No, you're yep. absolutely right. Rob brings something nobody, no, none, no other big on the team can bring. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I think that his absence has been a, a really untold or undiscussed uh, issue. I, you know, I know that there's a lot of people who are down on him and the mistakes he makes. You know, I'm I'm not yet in the camp of you know, he's the difference maker, and you know, I think he has potential to do yeah, that. Yeah, but it's limited minutes. But those limited minutes bring something different to the so, court. And sometimes. He is the best, the best center the Celtics have. Even with these three this season, he, there are moments he's had where he's been the best of the three. 
So, and that's saying that with Tice playing amazing on-off numbers and, and really being such a solid player, Cantor, who's doing great things in net rating and rebounding-wise and all this. And and despite all that, there were times when, when Rob was the best center of the three. So you need all three, I think. Let's hope he's healthy after the fourth and, and can come back after the All-Star break. Because if they can... Then I'm feeling a lot better about the center rotation. Still not great. I think the biggest need probably is scoring at this point. But Cantor, to go back to the early point, Cantor has been good. He's been solid. He's done what they've asked him and probably exceeded that, you know, to your point. He's exceeded that role. Now the question is, can he do that in the playoffs? Can he do it against Philly? Can he do it against Milwaukee? Um, you know, and on and on and on. And that's that's going to be where I think the, his season will be um, measured. Defined. Yeah, yeah, defined. Yep, absolutely. You know, the Rob Williams thing, though, let's sit on that a little bit just because Canner's gotten plenty of play and debate on this show. The Rob Williams, I agree, very little discussed. This bonadema in his hip is very weird. I think they said he could be out until the All-Star break, potentially. And when we drafted him, it was more about whether or not, you know, I think there was uh, – and I remember that draft night show we had Goodman on. Mm-hmm. Then there was some the we asked why did he fall, you know? And obviously there were some character potential issues. Maybe he was just running with the wrong crowd, but it was a little bit of a gamble there. But we knew everybody knew he had off the charts athleticism. But then there was also this: could he stay healthy? And I remember Goodman focusing less on the character piece and thinking that maybe he was just around. You know, he was just in a in a crew, right? And put his locker. I remember he said, "Put his locker next to Al Horford and see what happens." And I think Al Horford did have a big impact. I think that was a great call on Goodman's part. But then, but he did say, "If he can stay healthy," and that seemed to be the biggest asterisk for Goodman. And I, and I, I gotta wonder the same thing. You know, can, do you? I don't know, like bone edema, like maybe it's a. It's a bone bruise, but it must be a significant bone bruise. Did he just fall on it funny and it's not healing? You know, I'm not saying he has brittle bones. I'm actually saying maybe he took an impact on one of the high flyers and he's so athletic that if he doesn't come down the right way, he gets hurt. Does he have to learn to play under a certain level of control? Like I even watched, you know, another player to talk about with similar sort of off-the-charts athleticism that is a surprise this year is Javante Green. And I watched Javante Green go up and do dunks or not get a dunk. If you watch his feet, he is extremely careful when he comes down after jumping really high. His feet are moving, tap, 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 tap. You know, he's he's not coming down hard or straight-legged or pogo-sticky or anything like that. He's not hanging on to the rim to get himself into because sometimes the athletes when they get the rim and they grab onto it, they wind up kind of horizontal and then it leads to an awkward fall. Um, just watch that about Javante Green if he continues to get minutes and you'll see what I'm talking about. There's like an intelligence about how to manage that level of athleticism to prevent injury. And I didn't wonder if Rob just isn't quite there. Like he's playing like above his athleticism. I don't, maybe that's not the right way to say it or he's playing outside of it or he's not even, he doesn't even realize, you know, the dangers of being that athletic if he just uncorks it. 
Well, I know for me when I'm when I'm dunking, uh, you know, I really. Tr- <laughs> no, I can't even. I can't even front. That, that's not even. That's crazy. I you know it. When I was Tom Brady's age and I was dunking. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. No, I I think there is something to that. I mean, he is such an athletic marvel, um, Rob Williams is, that those types of players – there's only so much they can do. I think it's hardwired within them. And so that he has to adjust. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, Zion and coming back tonight. So while we're recording this, we can't react to what happened there. Um, you know, as he's coming back from his knee, uh, meniscus tear, uh, they're trying to rehab him and get him wa- walking and running the right way. And so I don't know how many or if he's had any major injuries to, you know, to his legs or knees or what have you. Um, obviously, he had the, the ankle sprain uh, when his shoe blew out. But that's, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to, you know, he is also a similar, an athletic freak of a different type. And, you know, the more you can do these things, Miles Turner, there was some teams had red flagged him because he didn't run correctly. You know, so these are things that mechanics, mechanics are everything. Yep. I mean, even even shooting mechanics, you know, there's lots of stuff like Marcus Smart had to get lots of work on his shooting mechanics. And then, um, you know, the the rookie with the with the ping pong paddle hand, you know what I mean? Like trying to get trying to get that release the right way and, and not cover the ball with the offhand and to make sure um, that it's really just steadying the shot instead of altering the shot as it's coming out of the release. Like these things all matter. And I just, we never hear anybody talk about, you know, the mechanics of coming down mm-hmm. from high flying blocks, dunk attempts, etc. But, you know, I think there's a proper way to land. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I mean, it, it's like teaching, uh, it's not like wrestling, but, you know, it's like learning how to fall, you know, teaching football players how to fall, teaching kids how to how to draw a charge properly, not put their their wrist back and, and you know, can break a wrist that way. You know, it's stuff like that, you know, um, and honestly, I can't even talk about wrist breaking without thinking about Delonte West. And that's sad, sad video. Outtakes. Made it, oh, my that's God. That's the outtakes. So I got sad. another one on that. I got two things on the outtakes then because I got a rant I got to go into. Okay, well, then forget it. We'll do the Man. Delonte West thing. We'll close it, and then we'll go to the outtakes on the rant because the, the rant is always a good way to end the show. Good outtakes thing, yeah. The thing, the thing with Delonte is the reactions. You know, like I'll, I, I saw a lot of reactions on Twitter. Like he made his money. Somebody said something along the lines of, you know, it's the NBA should really come out with all the money they make off of these players and help out a guy like this, right? And then, you know, and and then there was a lot of back and forth, and people were like, he made his money, he had his shot, dot dot dot. You know, he's a drug addict. And the thing is, is what people don't realize about Delonte is this is not just a drug abuse issue. He's got like really severe bipolar, you know, disorder, and he goes into manic phases. He does, and and so, you know, this. I think the biggest thing is, is I do believe that there were lots of people that were pulling for Delonte that reached out to try to, you know what I mean, extend a hand. But 
if you have had any experience with, you know, mental illness and, you know, I even think of like schizophrenia, it doesn't matter how much somebody wants to help somebody, right? They, they may just not be capable of being corralled, you know, and then they wind up, the, the only thing you can do is if they become a danger to themselves or others, maybe they go into the hospital, you know, and they kind of get the reset button and the meds start being taken again and everything else. But then they're back out in the real world. And should they have a manic break or, you know, a psychotic episode, they can quickly get derailed. So I don't even think the Delonte West situation, number one, you know, the the tweet I saw about, you know, somebody should get him some money and get him some help. I, it may just not get him sustained like people are acting like you can just fix it but then the people who are like yeah he wasted his opportunity he was already a millionaire is also as ignorant it's just ignorant from the other side you know and and not understanding like the human condition and so um it's really sad and and delante was such an endearing player to watch somebody that we all had so much fun i just i hate seeing it and uh, I wish there was something that somebody could do. And, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe that will happen at some point by the grace of God. Um, but this is just one of those unfixable situations in many cases. And it's just tough to see. It's, yeah, it's it's painful. And, you know, <laughs> for a guy, I, I think there's another way to look at the, the money aspect to it, which is this is a guy who's had fame, who has fortune, uh, who has, you know, has friends in high places who continue to look out for him. And even with all that in this country, we don't have a way to deal with mental illness. Like effectively, you know, humanely, we deal with it by getting cops involved and locking people up. And that's how we treat drug abusers. That's how we treat everything is let's call the police and we don't know how well, any other way to do it because we just haven't figured out healthcare. Um, okay, and end the soapbox on that. But I just feel like we have a situation, and and this this guy is clearly hurting, clearly um, needs help, um, needs to need help. But um, the, the even with all the all the advantages he has earned for himself, never mind given to him, earned for himself as as an athlete, as as someone. Um, even with all that, it's still, he's, he, he's just like anybody else. And, uh, I don't know. I hope, I hope for the best for the guy. He brought a lot of good stuff to me as a Celtics fan and to a lot of us. And, uh, you know, it seems like, and a lot of hope, a nice like guy. Him and, him and Tony Allen were a ton of fun. Oh. And, and, and when, when he was, when he was right and he was, you know, at least somewhat stable, um, he was. He was very entertaining and um, I think very kind-hearted, very big-hearted. And uh, there were a lot of conversations and a lot of articles about, you know, his struggles um, to get to the NBA, to get through college, et cetera, at that time. Um, as much as he may not be a success story today, you know, there was a time in his life when he was a huge success story for people struggling with mental mental health. So, um, you know, just I, I guess I try to live in those moments, you know what I mean, is where he could, where he was, uh, when and where he was, uh, 
a source of inspiration. So, all right, we're going to get to the outtakes in just a second. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in this week. And remember that you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host here, John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Uh, all right, John, so um, you've got a rant for the outtakes. I think I, I can just kind of sit back, relax, and... Oh you no! Know, let let somebody else be negative on this show for oh, once. Oh no! Oh no! No, you get to you get to participate. I'm not gonna okay. I'm not gonna leave you high and dry on this. Are you gonna one. get me fired up? Is it well, gonna get me okay. fired up? Well, all right. So here's here's my thing. All right. So tonight the Celtics are playing Memphis. That was we recorded this. They just recorded. They played him. They they had Brandon Clark. Now, Brandon Clark was a guy that I was hoping oh, I saw your tweet right before we okay. sat down. Now I know where you're going. They yep. love, you know, Brandon Clark jumps to the gym, played great in summer league, really good stuff, right? And a guy but, you spotted. A guy, guy you spotted. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm not alone. I'm no, you know, but I, I follow the draft, and I really liked his intangibles, and I thought, you know, kind of somebody with that type of ability would be great, you know, next to Horford, of course, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so Celtics take Grant Williams, they take Romeo, they take you know Carson, right? They trade one pick, uh, you know, they trade the Tybalt pick to get another pick, uh, then they trade that pick to get rid of the, the the Suns pick. So they end up with an extra number one out of it. They get three players. They had three picks. All good, right? So we start this year. Thibel plays amazing, you know, really, really well for a rookie. Um, defensively quite strong. Clark has had good a, a good run as well. He's playing well. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and meanwhile, the Celtics rookies have really not really gotten a lot of traction. I think probably Romeo consistently has probably had in the Less best. Less opportunity. Less you know? opportunity. And, well, that's where I'm going to go with this. Because, okay, look. Celtics Twitter, anybody out there, right? Like, here's the thing. To compare an apple and an orange, yes, they are both fruit. Technically, you could have had the apple or you could have had the orange, but they're not the same thing. Tybal is going to be 23 in March. 23, okay? Uh, our, our Clark guy, already is. Clark Brandon already Clark's is. Brandon Clark's already 23. You've got, on this Celtics roster, okay, Romeo is 20 years old, okay? 20 years old. Uh, 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 we got Grant Williams, who born in 1998. 1998, okay? Just turned 22 or 20, 21. Um, Carson is turning 22. Like, these guys are significantly younger than the players you're comparing them to. And the Celtics have a number one draft pick on top of this. Don't sit here and talk to me about like, oh, well, Danny's bad at drafting. He doesn't know what he's doing. Stop it. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing yourself. Get out. of. Put the keyboard away. Close the lid. Walk away. Go for a walk or something. This is a problem, folks. 
you do not judge rookies based upon 40 games. When you do that, you make a bad decision. The Celtics, any play, any team, you draft based upon the rookie contracts. If you have them under your control for three years. If they don't pop in three years, that's a different story. Okay. Could Tybal have helped them this year? Yes. Could Clark have helped them this year? Yes. Could they have helped more than those guys that they picked? Yes. The problem is Celtics don't look at a one-year snapshot. It's great that Tybal is fit in. He's in a role that he needs. Same with Clark. But if you plug those rookies into those situations, they may have have shown off more. I'm just I'm so tired of this whole thing with like, well, you know, if you compare the two, and it's so early, it's so early, yes, so early. Remember Rozier, uh, forty games into his his where he was, yeah, everybody was Nothing. so past. They were so past your contract he just signed to play for for uh, you know uh, Charlotte. Well, Avery Bradley, almost a non-factor for a year and like two or three months before he finally got things going. I mean, this happens. This is not like a new phenomenon. It takes guys time to figure out the NBA game and to to try to put these guys forty games into their career. Maybe he took a, a a good pick. Maybe he didn't. But I'm just so tired of like the instant analysis of Twitter about whether or not Ainge is a good drafter or not. The record's clear. He is. And if you're going to say he isn't, tell me the, the at least 15 GMs who haven't made mistakes out there in drafting. Because I'll tell you what, there aren't any out there. They don't exist. Everyone's done it. Golden State's done it. San Antonio's done it. Pat Riley's done it. They've all done it. So don't talk to me about who's perfect out there. John Horst, for God's sakes, in Milwaukee, he's done it too. Like I, I'm, I'm just so sick of this like draft, you know, idea of well, they took a bad player, they don't know what they're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Put the keyboard away. Stop. Go home. Go eat a bagel. I don't know. I'm tired of it, man. <laughs> I, I, I saw you say, uh, was it Sailboat Studios that you were tweeting with on and this? He, and you were like, yeah. And, and he's like, he's like, you know, it's kind of fun. And you're like, not for me. It's annoying. <laughs> I was and trying I was to be like, nice oh, about yeah. it. I was trying to be nice about it. But Vinny, like, I mean, man, like, no. Well, he's just not. having fun. He's just enjoying yeah. it. You know I'm what not, I mean? He's not biting. He's just, you know, he loves he loves watching the the chaos. I think maybe or whatever. You know, it's, there's entertain there's an entertainment factor that you're not getting from it, right? For you, you're just like, come on, you know, it's rooted in it's rooted in nothing related to reality. It, it's just hot take. It's a hot take central. It, I think people actually believe it though. Like, it's not even that – you're right. There are people out there who just say things to get reactions. I think people actually believe this out there. They buy into that nonsense, and it's 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 foolish. It's utterly foolish. You don't judge on 40 games. What are you doing? If a GM made judge, you know who used to make judgments after 40 games? Yeah, Let's Patino. Rick yep. Patino. Joe, Joe Johnson, bye-bye. Johnson, Johnson Billups, bye-bye. Yep. I mean – that's if you what look you at do. those drafts, if you look at those drafts and you just think about it, Chauncey, Paul, Walker, and Johnson, and they just let that go. And so now just think about it. Every time 
we can end on this. Every time I talk about the youth movement and not trading away those guys and keeping them around, that's what I remember. And, and, and you know, he also drafted Jerome Moiso, and I get it. But when you have that many shots, yep, Joe Brown. But when you have that many shots at getting a quality player, Absolutely. if you're at all a decent talent evaluator, you're going to get good talent. You just have to stick it out. You can't trade it away for a short-term shot. And if you do, you won't get the prize. And they didn't get the prize, right? And then they had to wait. And then they finally did trade. But when they did trade away some young players, we weren't talking guys that were drafted in the top ten. The guys that got moved for Kevin Garnett, you know, what was Al Jefferson, the 14th pick? You know, Tony Allen, the 20-something pick? Like, we didn't trade – you know, top 10 lottery talent. I mean, I guess Al was a lottery pick, technically speaking, but they weren't lot high-level lottery pick talent that you were bailing on. And, uh, you know, look at what Tatum is doing right now. You know, look at Brown's leap, and they're all younger than the guys you just mentioned. And so, you know, that's, that's the kind of – those are the players you stick with. And Langford, to your point, only 20. And doesn't have an opportunity, and maybe if you get your wishes with Hayward, Langford will end up being in the equation this year. <laughs> My wish uh, is that Gordon uh, Hayward fits with them, because I think he's better than anything they can add. But I, you're right. Yeah. I want opportunity, and you can't compare a guy who has opportunity versus one who doesn't. That's, you know, that's just the way it is. Fun. Yep, it's the way it is. And if you're still listening, John, what do we say? You're welcome. <laughs> All right, sweet. <laughs>